Good morning, Carlos. Good morning, Mario. How are you doing today? Good. I'm so glad to have you here. So thanks for having me. I want to give a little bit of a background. So you're um, obviously Carlos Fernandez. You are with Equitable Title. How long have you been with them? I've been with them since 2011. Um, I wanted to have you on for a number of reasons. I, I respect you highly, both as a person as a, and as a consummate professional of the title industry. Um, and we can talk more about both of those aspects, but um, you are a veteran of the armed forces. Yes. You were a Marine? A Marine, correct. And it's fascinating to hear some of your stories when you like post a little bit about what your experience in the military was. And I you know, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Thanks. Um, the other thing that I wanted to have you on is because I had Michelle in the podcast um, a while ago. And, you know, we talked a lot about sort of the structure of, um, of Equitable Title as a title company. And she was awesome. And what I wanted to do with you was a little bit more of a deep dive into sort of the actual nuts and bolts of the title industry. And the reason being, um, I got a lot of feedback from that podcast, like, oh, man, I wish you would have asked this one thing or I wish you would have asked this other thing. And I said, you know what? The good news is we can go ahead and do that. Um, okay. And so um, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in title? How long have you been doing it? Uh, crazy. I've been doing it for almost 17 years. Um, I was a private investigator. Uh, my best friend is a real estate agent. Uh, he worked out of a building that had a real estate attorney title company in it. I met the gentleman from years of getting off work, hanging out in my buddy's office uh, got tired of being a private investigator, sitting in my car 15 hours a day watching people. And I quit my job, got my real estate license, actually. And my plan was to become a big time real estate agent, but I needed a job. So the attorney at the building offered me a job. It's a glorified secretary, just doing some work. Uh, and next thing you know, because of the real estate school and the knowledge that I got about real estate and closings, which we did speak about some in real estate school, I learned more of my job at the title company and I started doing more and more. I got interested in that. I got my license and just stayed doing it. Um, I went from there to another company that recruited me. Uh, the bubble burst. At that time, most of our clients were lenders. We're doing mostly refinances. Nothing was appraising. Nobody was refinancing. Company shut down and uh, I actually opened a new title office right in the middle of that mess back in 2008. Um, later on, we merged with Equitable Title back in the late 2011, and uh, here I am still with Equitable Title. Um, one of the things that I think it's funny when you start um, listening to people's story and trajectory is people always like to make assumptions about how someone might have gotten to a certain point. And so the cool thing about it here in the actual story is that you understand how people evolve. Like, there's something for everybody, for sure. And people that are more keen in listening to their gut, they are more decisive on making decisions in their life that are going to yield them towards a path that's going to be more fruitful for them and cer certainly more fulfilling, which seems to be the case for you. Like you had this plan, this idea that you were going to do, and circumstances changed. You were exposed to a different side of the industry that kind of called your attention a little bit more, and you went in that direction. That's exactly what happened. That's, that's pretty awesome, which brings me to the next thing. So I want to start very basic here. Um, so title people are licensed. Correct. Okay. Um, so that's one thing that I don't think 
a lot of people know that you have to be licensed also to be uh, in the title business. Correct. And it's specifically to do certain... Certain jobs. Uh, not everybody in the office is uh, licensed. Uh, the closers will be licensed. Uh, any manager who's also a closer will be licensed. Uh, my understanding is the state uh, wants all representatives to be licensed. So your title reps, your client care specialists, uh, your business developers, my understanding is they all should be licensed. They all should know what they're selling. Well, I mean, and, and certainly not only should they be licensed because the state may or may not want them to. I'm a real estate agent and I'm bringing my consumer, you know, my, my customer over to an office and we may run into people that are my reps. I want to make sure that if they meet that they're licensed, you know, that's just kind of like a sort of a personal fail safe for me. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is your experience, having been through the crash, having done the refis. Um, so you're a guy that has done the closings. I've done everything. I started data entry and making copies after the closing. Um, then I started working with the banks, getting them what they wanted. Um, next thing you know, my boss is making me do numbers, prepare settlement statements, HUDs back then. Um, from there, one day he goes, hey, you know what? Get in a closing room. So I've done everything from A to Z at a title company. Uh, actually, that's how I got my, uh, my first recruitment. I was sitting with a bunch of real estate professionals talking about real estate and title there were some other title people in the room and they kept on asking me, well, you do this also? I'm like, yeah, but what do you mean? You do everything? I'm like, yes, I've done this. 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 And they're looking back going like, well, our employees have only done this and this. Well, we have another set of employees that do this and this. We don't have anyone that's done this to this or that does this to this every day. And that's how I got my first recruitment. Somebody just called me and said, hey, I understand this. Um, I got hired. And they actually still did not believe me. So I got hired at a lower position at a title company. Uh, within a week, uh, they called me in. They apologized for not believing me. They gave me a promotion, gave me a bonus. Uh, and actually later on, uh, the owners of the company wanted to move out of state. And they were looking for somebody to be the manager of the office. They hired somebody, fired that person, called me in. And they said, hey, we apologize. We're like, for what? He goes, we're attempting to hire someone to be your boss. And that's impossible. So you're now the manager of the office. I'm like, great. I think that's something that sometimes goes understated in our industry is that um, in real estate alike, um, in title and sometimes even in mortgage, there's not enough appreciation for the people that are able to do every task that their profession handles. Um, so we... We have people that get started as a buyer's agent and they may be a buyer's agent and they've never done transaction coordinating. They may not, never done any other any other job within the office. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think there, there certainly has to be an increased level of appreciation for the people that have done everything from the copies all the way up. Because what happens is it's kind of what I've run into with you is it doesn't matter if I have a, a question that's very specific to a transaction, whether I need someone to close a deal, um, whether there is a question during the closing itself. Um, it's another thing we can talk about. 
um, you are able to answer all those questions. Not only you are licensed, you've done it all in, in the industry and you've filled um, so many different seats in this bus that would be like the title industry bus to call it in a way. Um, specifically, when it comes to the closings, nothing drives me up a wall more than having a closer that doesn't know what they're looking at. And so a lot of times when you have like a mobile notary or a mobile closer, you know, you have a buyer here signing their life away or at least seemingly signing their life away. And they ask a question, the mobile closer is like, I don't know, I was just sent here to put my stamp on some papers. Correct. You know, I, um, I've always believed that all of us, the real estate profession, all of us included, real estate agents, lenders, appraisers, all of us, we provide a great service to the consumer. I mean, people are buying homes. They've worked hard. They've saved money. They're putting down a deposit, money they've saved. They're signing their life away, which is a statement they use all the time. Uh, sellers, yeah, they might have bought a home and now 15 years later, they're selling it. They're selling for the first time. Where's my money at? Where's this? What's that? We provide a great service. You know, we make these people feel safe if we know what we're saying. Um, and I take pride in that. You know, I take pride in somebody sitting at my table with me, me doing a closing and those people leaving that room comfortable knowing, hey, everything will be okay, you know? So it's important for everyone to know not just the small part of what they're doing, but all of it. Yeah, you know? I think I think that's one of the things that sometimes, you know, when you're in the buyer side of the transaction in Central Florida, you don't have a whole lot of say on you know, where the closing takes place. And and it's always it's always disheartening to me when the listing agent on a transaction um, has decided to partner up or work with a specific title company of their choosing. And they're doing so because they're good friends, because they like to hang out outside of work together, because they pick up the tab when they go to happy hour, or because uh, a number of tangible things not related to the duties that they have to perform. And... And then I'm sitting there with my buyer and we're signing papers and the questions are not being answered properly. The office is understaffed. So we're kind of sitting in a waiting room for five minutes before somebody comes to greet us. I've had someone like this. This was one of probably the worst experiences. I had someone that was buying um, a very expensive house, um, definitely like in the upper echelon of the luxury market. And the title company that this listing agent decided to use was sort of this Mom and pop, you know, um, the office was probably 600 square feet, only one person working in it or two people maybe, or like one person in our receptionist who happened to be sick that the day of the closing, by the way. But I remember telling my customer at the time, hey, this is the wiring instructions for the title company for your escrow deposit. I've um, and, uh, and my customer saying like, I Googled these people. They don't have a website. They don't have a Facebook page. I can't find anything about them. Like, is this a real company or am I wiring $50,000 to someone like who's going to steal my money? And it never occurred to me until this time. Like, seriously, like people are giving instructions and said, hey, wire all this money. In this case, it was $50,000 to a company that doesn't have a website. It's, you know, this time it's like 2014. Like everybody should have a website. Like the email address was like, you know, Susie's title at AOL.com. I'm like, Christ, like this, we can't, you can't be in a business where you're running millions of dollars through your hands 
and not invest $250 on a website and not have a an email address that doesn't look legitimate, like an AOL email address. Correct. You know, there's a few out there and um and there's some small ones that are good at what they do because they've been doing it forever. You know, you might get an old school real estate attorney who started a title company and just he hasn't changed anything. But there's clues. But there's clues. You know, there's clues. People know them and sort of thing. Uh, my concern a lot is with brand new, I don't know where title companies that open up with no experienced people working them. Okay. Um, you know, we have experienced agents. We have not expanded, not because we don't have business. We have not expanded in years because we do not believe the workforce is out there for us to provide good service to the consumer. So it is a tough thing to find oh, it uh, is. people in that industry. So it does make me wonder when seven, eight title companies open up in Central Florida in a year. Who's running these things? You know, I've said it before and I think I've made a statement on social media, experience counts. It does. And that's the difference between closing a transaction and not closing a transaction. I had a transaction several months ago. Actually, the buyer's agent called me, gave him an opinion. I actually worked, t- called the title company, and, and in their credit, they took a leap of faith. I said, listen, you can do this, and let me tell you how. We had a buyer's agent, a listing agent, a bank, and a title company that said, there's no way this can close. I explained to them how to do it. They followed my instructions, and it closed. The other agent was an experienced agent. I've worked with that title agent before. They're very good but haven't been long enough around to see certain crazy things. Well, and part of the important thing with a company like you guys is you have a ton of experience. Then there's a, Michelle has a ton of experience. John has a ton of experience. So when a problem arises, if the solution is not obvious to one person, it gets discussed amongst a group of people that have all combined 50 years worth of experience Correct. in this that, that will likely understand if there is a solution, what that solution looks like. Um, speaking about the sort of the new title company and like um, the expansion trend that we see, you know, we see all these title companies really popping up. And it of, happens when real estate gets good. Yeah. When real estate gets good, of course, everybody gets out there and comes up with something to do in real estate, something extra to get make more money. Of Correct. course. And so one of the things that I think it's sometimes um, understated is that title companies hold all the money. They have the money. They get all the wires. They disperse all the money. Um, so there's a lot of um, liability in Correct. that part of the operation, even though sometimes it seems like it's the ghost of the operation. Like no one knows what title really does. You know, like you ask a buyer and a seller, and so they, they're they're not really sure because it's not a highly public profession. No, and it's I, not a sexy profession. It's not sexy and it's not it's not really publicized. It's one of those things that I don't know that that's bad or that's good. That's just the way that it is. It's kind of like someone that's a very, you know, my wife works in the dialysis world. And I didn't know there was something called a nephrologist who's a kidney-specific doctor until I started dating her. That's not a good or a bad thing. It's just what happens, you you know, because it's such something so specialized. They're not doing billboards out because correct, and that's no value in that. Yeah, title companies do not advertise to the consumer uh, unless 
some FISPOs are there that we might target specifically. Hey, you'll need someone's services. Might also give us a try. And that's a little strange, right? Because the consumer is the one that pays. Correct. Uh, here in Central Florida, most of Florida, uh, the seller chooses. Uh, seller pays. The law says because the seller pays, the seller chooses. Right. So, but you guys don't market to the seller, you market to the agent. So those sellers are relying on the wisdom and decision-making ability and critical thinking of those agents to make a decision that's going to be in their best interest. Correct. Um, I'll tell you what, I was doing a closing where it was towards the end of the whole, everybody's in the same room together and I have buyers and sellers and uh, finished the closing. Seller was still hanging out, finished with the buyer. And uh, the seller looked at the buyer and said, hey, I've done about 15 closings in my lifetime. And you're very lucky my listing agent chose this guy because that's the best explanation of what you just signed that I've ever heard. So, yes, the title company can make the agent look good. Title company can make the agent go bad. And the title, the real estate agent should, should be chosen the title agent based on the service they can provide to their consumer. And that's been a consistent theme for me in doing this podcast. I think a lot of what the industry has going on right now is you have a lot of people that are self-serving. So you have, um, you know, I'm not going to single anyone out, but you'll have uh, an alarm company or you'll have a warranty company or whatever. They go to offices and their whole pitch is, if you do this for me, I'll kick this back to you. Like, I'll give you this $50. I'll give you $100 per transaction. And a lot of agents fall for that. And I call that agent welfare. The agents that are using those companies are using agent welfare. And then you have agents that are looking for more of a consumer-oriented solution to the vendors that they have to use. And so most recently I had Rusty here. And so Rusty did this with sort of the ADT model where instead of having people calling agents after closing, harassing them for that buyer's information so that they can try to sell them ADT and the agent collect a referral, he decided to not give anything to the agent, but provide a solution that would only appeal to agents that want to provide added value to the consumer. And I don't want to sort of go into the weeds with that, but providing added value to the consumer is not a, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like if you give provided value to the consumer, you're going to make less money as an agent. Or if you provide more value, you know, less value, you automatically make more money as an agent. It's just sort of a fluid thing in that the better you make your consumer feel, the customer feel through the process, the more likely they'll refer you a friend and a family. The more likely that experience gets ingrained in their mind and they go like, you know what? If you have to sell, if you have to buy, well, you got to use Mario. And that title company is a perfect example of that. Correct. You know, um, title company, we kind of walk this line where once again, the real estate agent's really going to choose us. Because um, the times that an actual seller chooses a title company could be because they sold a lot of property in the past and they have a relationship with somebody. Or their cousin is a title agent. Or their neighbor is a title agent. Other than that, they're going to go with whomever the, title, the real estate agent says. Um, so we have to keep the real estate agent happy. But at the end of the day, it's about the consumer. You know, I always said it's the buyers and the sellers. That's the people that we service. Yes, the real estate agent brings me the business. And what I can promise to them is that I will do 
our best possible to get the best job done to make the consumer happy. Outside of that, I cannot make any other promises. There's nothing. People ask me all the time, what can you do for me? I can give you great service. I can give you knowledge and experience like no one else in town. I can make things happen. Nobody else can. I can answer questions. Nobody else can. Other than that, there's not much more I can offer to you. And oftentimes, I think, it's sort of when you hire a doctor, when you hire an attorney, you're not hiring the best doctor because you think that they're going to have to do some complicated procedure on you. You're hoping you're healthy, but you're hiring the best doctor, the best attorney you can, because in the off chance that something doesn't go right, in the off chance that something goes wrong, you want someone that has sort of like that 10,000 or 30,000 hours of practice doing it that can solve it quickly, efficiently, and with minimal collateral damage. And I think that's, that, that's how I view the title business a lot of times. I want every transaction to be really boring, really easy, and every closing to be sort of like by the book, just a bunch of signatures and a picture, and we all go home. That's what I want it to be like, but that's not what it always is like. So I'm going to partner myself with people who I know can sort of resolve or diffuse that, situ- that bad situation that comes up once every you know, 10 closings or whatever. And you mentioned that um, one of the problems that title companies have is the fact that we deal with so many real estate agents. They all do things a different way. They all wish a title company, which I want, whereas mine or somebody else's, did things in a way to make things for them easier. The fact is we cannot please every single real estate agent. Okay. And I have clients that have approached me and said to me, hey, listen, um, I don't like exactly the procedures your office has. I wish they did this, they did that, but I'm still using you because I know when something goes down, you'll be able to take care of it. Yeah, and I, and I, what I've also found is that with you guys particularly, I've I've had some constructive criticism and said, hey, you know, I I I want this to play out differently with files and we're not talking about like a major process change but we're talking maybe the timeline on which an email goes out or the amount of emails that goes out within a 48 or 72 hour period to the consumer and and you guys have been very receptive about that about saying you know what yeah we can do it differently you know in your files we can do it that way because it's not really I'm not asking you guys to switch the furniture around the office for every closing is it's something minor and so I like also that flexibility of of that you know small details of the process can be tailored a little bit better for a particular agent. And I think we've all learning that, you know, things have changed. Uh, you, us, our company, we have, everybody has 10 to 15 years experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, when I first got started in title, uh, phone, fax machine, we had one email address for the whole company, one email for five people. Nobody really emailed us. People called us, people sent faxes. Banks sent documents by FedEx the night before. There was no same day closing. Hey, we got approved today. We're closing today. So we've gone from that to where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So yes, we sometimes got to think back. Hey, you know, we're still kind of doing things the way we did them 15 years ago, even though we have a computer now, this and that. This changed. So I always call agents after every transaction. I ask them, how do you think we could have done better? What would have been easier for you? What would have been best for your consumer? People tell me, I write it down. And what can we do? We cannot do everything, but the things that we can change, simple things, I implement. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that goes back to the old saying that 
Um, nothing seems different day to day, but if you look back at a five-year period, 10-year period, things are vastly different. Correct. And you know, I think one of the criticisms, and I've had this criticism of the title business in general, is that sometimes it feels like it's such an old-school thing. Part of it has to do with government regulations and what's required in the municipalities um, in regards to signatures on recording and all that stuff. But part of it, I think, is just not looking far enough back to say, oh, yeah, we couldn't do closings on the same day of approval. Oh, yeah, we couldn't communicate with people on email readily. You know, So there's definitely thing, been an evolution in the title industry as well. Um, and, and, and maybe I'm guilty of kind of making some of those assumptions at times of saying, like, oh, man, you guys are stuck in the 1800s. Well, you're not. You're moving out of it a little slower than the rest, but it's because of exterior constraints to the operations of your business. You ha- have a lot more regulation involved in what you, you do. You know, and not only that, we, we have looked at some technology in the, in, the, in the past, which we're still attempting or think about implementing. And like, well, if we implement this, it's to get rid of this step in the process. But if you're dealing with a certain type of agent that does not work with technology, then for that particular person, you have to go back and do certain things. So it's that thing we're trying to provide the same for everyone and not trying to have three different systems of doing things for different types of people, whether it's the techie, the non-techie, the person that does everything on the phone, the person that doesn't want to speak to someone, to anyone at all, anytime. So we're trying to find that middle ground of coming up with something that's not extra work. You get a choice, you choose whether to use it or not as a real estate agent and so on. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that goes with technology, like, you know, Maybe the people that are more technology savvy wish that things changed overnight and rapidly and tomorrow everything got implemented. But then it leaves behind good agents that may not be so inclined to um, to use that technology as, as soon as it becomes available. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about is the liability part. So we understand as real estate agents, there's liability in what we do. Um, in the way we conduct ourselves in, in business. Like, for example, uh, if I gave the lockbox code to a consumer for them to let themselves into a house, that's an ethics problem that I will probably have to deal with at some point in my career. Um, so we understand those things with, within the constraints of the real estate industry. But oftentimes, what I, what I don't have a good understanding and i don't think a lot, of, a lot of agents do and probably we should have a better understanding is what are some of the problems that arise from um, sort of violations with respite compliance with title companies because i you know i've been doing this since 2005 in some capacity or another and i remember the days of title companies sort of having like box office tickets at like you know some stadium and like you know like doing this very lavish things for people in order to get their business I'm not really sure how illegal it was back then, but I certainly know that today days that's a, probably a no-no. Um, I will say this. Um, so there are, and we're going to talk about, we can talk about some RESPA violations here in a second. You know, the title industry went from small pop and mom and pop shops, also the big underwriters, also a lot of small one-office title companies where there was no marketing or sales team. It was all the service they provided. And that's where I came from. And I was, I would say that that's why I am the way that I am. I came from a title company that every transaction was the marketing opportunity. There wasn't a salesperson. We're not offering anything. We just did a good job. And 
other agents that got brought there were like, oh, this guy did a really good job. I'm going to start using those people. So I work with the idea that every single real estate transaction is my marketing and sales pitch. That transaction, every single one of them is. Somewhere in there along the line, we came up with title reps and they started appearing everywhere and things are being offered and things are being bought and so on. Um, you know, when it comes to real estate and I printed them just to have them here because it's very simple. It's not a long list. Uh, there's a list within the list, but here's three simple ones. What's a respite violation to a real estate agent accepting anything of value for referral, referral to closing agents, accepting anything of value. That's money or anything that will cost a real estate agent money. Okay? So a service. A service. You know, if, if I'm a real estate agent and I usually pay for whatever it is, and now I'm getting it from free, for free from a title company, a lender, anybody, that's a risk of violation. It's money that I no longer I'm pulling out of my pocket, somebody else is okay. for me to give them business. Um, accepting marketing help or ad space from settlement services provider. Now, the United States government uses settlement service providers as not just title companies, but mortgage, lenders, appraisers. Um, actually, I have a list of them here. Home warranty companies, insurance companies, uh, flood and tax service providers, and home and pest inspections. Those are all provided, uh, called settlement services by the government. Having an ownership interest in a settlement service and referring clients to use them without proper disclosure. Now, all these things have exceptions, but it's very simple. I think the first one is the most important one, and that is accepting anything of value. That is anything. Once again, you know, if I would spend money on that and I'm getting it for free, that's accepting something of value. And I tell agents out there who might be listening, think about this. Fidelity National Title, Stewart, First American, the largest title companies in the country. These are billion-dollar corporations that have all the money in the world to buy anything they want to buy to a real estate agent if they wanted to, to pay for whatever a real estate agent wanted if they wanted to. Yet, there are things they're not doing, but other title companies are. If you're an agent, think to yourself, why is the person with the most money in our industry not providing that thing that the other person is. Yeah, and that's a, to me, that's an excellent litmus test because I've always said that when in doubt, always look at the, at the big guys because the big guys know the rules better than anybody. The big guys have entire legal teams figuring out how they can, what they can and can't do. Um, and one thing that I appreciate with the big guys is that if something does go wrong, you have a, the big backing of a big company that comes in and swoons and, and sort of helps the situation. When I see a small company offering things beyond what I see one of the largest companies in the United States offering, I'm, I start to wonder. Because, yeah, like you said, evidently, you know, like a company like the ones that you mentioned, they're not they're not strapped for cash. They could buy everybody a car if they wanted to, but obviously they can't because it's illegal. Um, so I don't think agents are are well versed enough on this. And it's one of those things that 
they need to be aware of because on a RESPA violation, it's not just the title company that suffers. Whoever receives and gives, so it's both. You know, uh, the agent, uh, if it's a RESPA violation, the agent will be slapped for it. Now, in all honesty, a lot of times when it's a RESPA violation, they're looking for the big pockets. Of course. Okay. Uh, so if you're a broker out there, so when it comes to the actual real estate agent, real estate agent gets involved in a RESPA violation with a title company. Uh, government's going to look at the entities and go, okay, real estate agent, title company. Who's got the most money? They're going to go after the title company. Okay. There might be a little slap on the wrist of the real estate agent. Give me, give me a couple thousand dollars for violation. Let's move on. If you're a broker out there who is engaging in rest by violations for their entire office, now they're looking at mom and pop title company and broker. Yeah. Not just agent, entire broker. Right. Who's got the most money? They both got money. Let's go after both. And yeah. that will put a business down. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that I wish was a little bit different. So, like, I understand title reps are a thing, and I understand sometimes they're called title sales reps. And I wish they wouldn't be called title sales reps. I think if it was a title consultant, it would be a little bit more disarming. um, Because when somebody is a sales rep, I'm automatically, like, maybe it's because I get 50 telemarketing calls a day, but I'm already a little apprehensive. But I like the idea that you guys have consultants and some other people do too i'm not trying to you know single it one way or another but you guys are title consultants like yes you meet with agents in order to try to get their business certainly correct um but you're also there to answer a call and a question on a saturday or sunday and by the way you're doing so not because you became licensed six months ago to take this job you got licensed a bazillion years ago to be a closer to perform the duties of a closer in a title office, to be able to process a file from beginning to end in a title office. And then after years of doing that, you ended in a situation where you are meeting you know, with agents to, to offer your services and to tell them how it is that you guys conduct business. A very, very different approach as someone being a sales rep um, that can't do those other things. Yeah. Like, you know, I, this... Uh I guess it's a job title that I kind of like the most, and it's kind of hard to to name us. I think client care specialist might be the best one that I've run into because it says something, client care specialist. Um, title rep, business developer, those names, what are you developing? What are you helping? Yeah. You know, um, I'll tell you how I get most of my business. I get most of my business from knowledge. I'm not a very good salesperson. I hope my boss is not listening. <laughs> but... There's places that I'm allowed to, to go. Uh, there's places where people want me to be at. And, and I'll go down at a real estate office, put my computer down, do my usual daily work at that office, answering emails, helping the office, whatever. And as things go on during the day, you know, people point out, that's the title guy over there. He knows the answer to that question. And that's why I get most of my business. I get most of my business from helping real estate agents. Uh, I'll tell real estate agents, hey, listen, um, you know, your first deal, uh, you'll probably represent a buyer, your cousin buying a house or something. You won't get to choose the title company. Give me a call anyways. When you're looking at things you don't understand and you're going to sound silly trying to explain them to your buyer, call me. Let me read it. Let me reply to you. 
you go back to your client and you tell them what I told you. You know, so I help clients, you know, real estate agents, new agents look smarter than they are sometimes on their first transactions. And that's what I enjoy. I enjoy throwing that knowledge out there. Uh, like I said, I don't have anything extra to sell mm-hmm. uh, except my knowledge and the services of our company. Um, not offering anything else extra out there, yeah. you know? Well, that's good because it means that you're going to be around for a long time. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Thank you so much for doing this, Carlos. You're welcome. It's been great. Hey. 